So anybody, anybody know that song in the early 80s said from Judas Priest? Yeah, Breaking the Law. Uh, the, the, the song was written by Judas Priest in the early 1980s. Uh, it's, it's a song about, well, the breaking the law. Uh, it, it's actually about bored and frustrated young men who decide to uh, spice up their lives a little bit uh, by breaking the law. The, the song became an anthem for a generation of heavy metal rock fans, including these two lawbreakers. Beavis and Butthead, uh, who famously uh, sang that song, Breaking the Law, break, anytime they were doing anything unwise, like, you know, pouring sugar into their mouths. I, I actually thought of the song as I was studying the Bible this week, <laughs> preparing for the message for the morning. Uh, as you might know, we're in, the, we're in the last week of a series that we've been doing here at Rooftop, a series called Sin. What is it really? This is, this is the last week of Sin. After this week, no more sin. We're done with sin. Sin is like, it's gone. If only it were that easy, right? Just so you know what's going on, though, we, we will have, we're going to start a new series in like three weeks. We're going to have some off weeks next week and the week after Ariel's preaching and Jeremy DeVore's preaching. And then we're going to start in a few weeks, we're going to start a new series on the Sermon on the Mount. So that's what we're going to be doing there. But one more week of sin, one more week of sin. And, and during this, the sin series, we've been uh, trying to understand what sin is. What is it really? Uh, because we want to know what sin is. Sin is a problem. Sin is what ruins our lives. Sin is what destroys our world. Uh, God rescues us from sin. We want to worship him for that. And uh, the Holy Spirit is working in our lives to remove sin from us. So we want to cooperate with the Spirit. So we've been talking about what sin is. And as we've found, the Bible doesn't really define sin. What the Bible does is describe sin using different stories and pictures and, and images. And we've talked about this sin as corruption and pollution and wandering and guilt. Uh, last week, we talked about how the Bible describes sin as, is, anybody remember? Man, this is, this, this, this is a hard job. <laughs> wickedness, thank you. We talked about sin as wickedness. Uh, and also the Bible describes sin as lawlessness, breaking the law, breaking the law. In fact, the, the Bible's pretty explicit about this about sin is lawlessness. Uh, like in 1 John, the author says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin itself, that's what it is. It's breaking the law. It's breaking the law. Uh, this is something we can understand. Uh, we're, we're all familiar with the law. We live in a society of laws. That's uh, one of the things it means to be an American. Uh, America is a country that operates according to the rule of law. The people who lead our government, they are called law makers. Uh, America works most of the time. The law isn't always pure and perfect, but America works most of the time uh, because of the laws we have. We might not like all the laws, and we have a system that law can be changed, and sometimes it should be, but if we want to enjoy the benefits of living in an organized society, we have to live according to the laws, and this is for our good. The, the law, ideally, is for our good. It allows us to, to live productive lives, it's kind of like the rules of the road. Uh, most traffic accidents happen because people disobey the law. Most accidents happen because someone's speeding, someone's driving through a red light, someone's not merging properly. If, if you obey the laws of the road, there's a much better chance you will live. And if you don't, there's a decent chance you will get hurt. Reality works the same way. Just as our country has laws which allow it to function better, so does God's universe. 
I mean, God comes to us as the supreme, God, God comes to us in many ways, but also as the supreme lawgiver. In a sense, the Bible is even a law book. Uh, the first five books of the Bible, any know, anybody know what the first five books of the Bible are called? They're called the Torah, which is translated as law, instruction. Now, God's laws are expressions of who he is, what he is like, his holiness, his perfection. And they are intended to give us instruction how do we, we are to live lives like he would. And his laws are intended for our good, too. In my morning Bible time, I've actually been stud- reading very slowly through the Torah because uh, I want to like, understand it. Um, and I'm reading through the book of Deuteronomy right now. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Torah. And the word Deuteronomy, it actually means second law. So the first law was given at Sinai, the Ten Commandments to Sinai, and then the book of Deuteronomy is like a whole bunch of second laws, and it's given by God to Moses, there's Moses, uh, to give to the Israelites before they enter the Promised Land. And God gives them the book of the Deuteronomy, the book of the Deuteronomy, God gives them the book of Deuteronomy to let them know, hey, if you want things to go well for you in the Promised Land, live this way, obey the law. As Moses says, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live in increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Basically, God tells his people, obey the law and you will live. Drive according to the rules of the road and you will live. Break the laws and you won't. It's that simple. God created us to live well according to his laws. Unfortunately, we don't. We don't like laws. Who likes laws? Laws prevent us from doing what we want to do. In general, we are people with legal problems. We have legal problems. When it comes to the laws, we have legal problems. You know, you, everybody has a friend with legal problems. Some of us might have legal problems. You know, I got a friend with legal My uncle has legal problems. We all have legal problems. What kind of legal problems do we have? We have all kinds of legal problems. For example, some of us, we're just lawbreakers. Uh, the Bible gives us plenty of things to do. And we just decide we don't want to do them. We'll just break the law. I mean, take marriage and sexuality. The Bible describes God's laws when it comes to sex and sexuality and marriage and divorce. Those laws are for our good. For the good of our bodies, for the good of our our relationships, for the good of our society. But we don't like a lot of them. So we break them. I mean, who cares what the Bible says about sex before marriage? We're just going to do it anyway. Who cares what the Bible says about divorce? We're just going to get one anyway. But not only are we lawbreakers, we're law pickers. We pick the laws we want to obey, and we break the ones we don't. The uh, Bible tells us to care for the poor, for example. A lot of us get really excited about caring for the poor. I mean, it makes you feel good about yourself. It makes a difference in the world. So we'll, we'll go down to the food pantry. Uh, we'll go downtown with the homeless ministry, care for the poor. The Bible also tells us to do other things, like work really hard to work out our conflicts with each other. And uh, practice the Sabbath. And forgive our enemies, no matter what. 
But that's just hard. So we're going to pick these ones and not pick those ones. Also, we're law missers. We're law breakers. We're law pickers. We're law missers. We miss the point of the law. You see, the purpose of the law is to transform us into people who look like God. But we think the law is different. We think the law is about keeping God happy. But that's not the law. The purpose of the law is to transform us into people who look like God. But this is how we kind of approach the law. You know, for example, we'll tithe 10% of our income, but we won't let that turn us into generous people in other ways. I mean, I actually know a lot of people who are really religious about tithing, but if you get to know them, they're not that generous. They're just looking to keep the law. Uh, For example, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked this question. Over nearly 30 years of ministry, lots of people have asked me, they've asked me, when I tithe, should I tithe before or after my taxes? Because, you know, if I calculate 10% of my income tax, or 10% of my income tax, should I do that before taxes or after taxes? Because if you calculate 10% after you take your taxes out, you can actually give less and, in a way, still say that you're tithing. You know this question? And my first answer to the question is, well, you know, the government calculates like 10% based on your gross income. I think God would too. But my next answer is, why are you asking? The point of the law is to make you generous. If given a chance to give more or less to God, why would you be asking if there's a way that you could give less and still say you're tithing? We miss the point. Also, we're law fakers. Not only do we break laws, we make laws that aren't real laws. They're fake laws. Churches, Christians, are really good at this. Uh, We make all kinds of laws that aren't actually in the Bible. Uh, Laws about dancing, laws about alcohol, laws about dress, laws about what sort of music you can play in church. Over the years, I've been routinely criticized, for example, for, you know, this, for wearing my hat in church. Uh, I'll, I'll take it off every now and then if I know somebody's deeply offended by it, because I really don't want it to be an issue. Uh, this morning, I was not feeling so motivated. <laughs> Had a little bit of a bedhead thing going on. <laughs> like, well, hat's going on today. Uh, but there's just no law in the Bible about not wearing a hat in church. It's just not there. But we do this. We make up laws that aren't even really laws while ignoring laws that are. And lastly, we're law enforcers. We decide it is our job to enforce God's laws on others, regardless of whether or not anybody appointed us to do that. Or whether we're not, we're even keeping that law. Now, to be sure, some of us all are law enforcers. I mean, police officers, that's what they do. They enforce the law. Similarly, you know, elders here at Rooftop, they sort of enforce expectations. But, but lots of times, here's what we do. We deputize ourselves as judges over each other and over the world with no right to do so. For example, I believe in traditional sexual morality. 
I believe in a traditional definition of marriage. I believe in traditional definitions of gender. I don't know if you've realized this, but lots of people in the world don't anymore. Unless they're members of my church, it's none of my business. Nobody appointed me their judge. Did they even ask me what I think? I'm not their law enforcer. If anybody's, I'm yours. Some of you accept that, some of you don't. So, you know, I'll let you discuss that with God. So we all have legal problems. Question, what are yours? You have them. You're not squeaky clean. You have them. In fact, let's do some reflection. Remember, our purpose here on Sunday morning, it's not to be entertained. It's, it's not to decide if we want to come back next week. It's really not even to listen. Our purpose here is here to be changed. And in order to be changed, you've got to reflect. So let's reflect. You have legal problems. What are yours? Are you a lawbreaker? Which laws do you break? Are you a law picker? Which laws do you ignore? Are you a law misser? You missed the point. Are you a law faker? Do you do really good at make, you know, obeying fake laws? Are you a law enforcer? Did you designate yourself somebody's judge? What are your legal problems? You have some. And here's the thing, and this is a problem. There are consequences to that. Just like criminals get sentenced, there are consequences to your legal problems. Criminals with legal problems, they don't get off scot-free. We've decided that they shouldn't. They get sentences. As people who break God's laws, so will we. Book of Deuteronomy says this too. If you obey God's laws, he will bless you. But, Moses goes on to say, if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, I declare to you this day, you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. If you obey the law, you will live, but if you don't, you will be destroyed. And that's not just true for the Israelites, that's true for us. Because we have legal problems, we will be destroyed. Now, question, what does it mean to be destroyed? You know. It means to be condemned. It means to be thrown in the slammer. It means to be sent to hell. That's what it means. It means to be destroyed. Because we don't deserve the reward that God has in store for us. This is where people who break the law of God go. They don't go to heaven when they die. They go someplace else. And we're offended by that. But would we expect to just release a criminal into the world? No. Criminals deserve to suffer. Now, this is depressing. Is this what we have to look forward to when we die? Are we just tallying up criminal charges until the end of our lives when we receive our just punishment? You know, we're just going to die and we're going to wake up in a courtroom and God's going to be there with a long rap sheet of things that he's like, okay, now we need to kind of talk through your offenses. Is that what we have to look forward to? Well, I don't know where you're at with God, but maybe. Maybe. But hopefully not, because God doesn't want that. Like Israel, God wants us to live long in the land. God is a just God, but he is also a loving God. He doesn't want to send us to spiritual prison. So what did he do? Well, maybe you know what he did. The Bible says he freed us from the law. 
Listen to the way Paul puts it in the book of Romans. God set you free from the law of sin and death. You see, the law demands that we pay a just punishment for our disobedience. That just punishment is death and hell. That's what we deserve, but we have been set free from that. That's what Jesus did on the cross. God came to earth as a man. He died on the cross to pay the punishment that we owe. So even though we deserve to spend eternity in prison, because of what Jesus did, we won't. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Now, honestly, speaking candidly, I've, I've always had a hard time connecting with this part of the gospel. I've had a hard time appreciating the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross as a, pay, as a payment for my punishment. Because, here's the thing, here's the thing about me. I'm actually a pretty good kid. I've never really been in trouble. Don't believe the hat, I'm not a rebel. <laughs> it's just, you know, I just like wearing hats. <laughs> I mean, I have a, a tattoo and it's of a cross. I mean, how rebellious. I, I, uh, I'm not a rebel. I uh, grew up a pretty good kid. Um, I, I still, I feel guilty when I break the speed limit. I mean, oh, gonna hurt somebody. I, I uh, snuck a soda into the movie theater a couple weeks ago during Top Gun Maverick. And I was really uncomfortable the whole time. I didn't even enjoy the soda. Um, and, you know, the, the movie was great, but the soda, was, oh, is this right? Uh, I've never been arrested. Uh, never been in handcuffs. Um, never been in a police car. I did detention once in junior high. And it was, honestly, it was, it was kind of based on a misunderstanding. <laughs> but I decided not to, like, you know, appeal. Just took the hit. So my point is, when I hear myself say that Jesus paid the legal punishment that I deserve, I actually have a hard time connecting with my own words. I, I do not feel like a criminal who deserves to go to hell. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. But here's the thing I've had to realize. Just because I do not feel like a criminal who deserves to go to hell does not mean that that's not exactly who I am. I mean, you tell me, which matters more? What we think about ourselves? Or God's evaluation of us according to his divine standards? And here's the truth about who we are. God has looked at our lives and found us guilty of major legal infractions against divine standards which deserve eternal condemnation. Honestly, some of you get this more than I do. I mean, I, I know some of you. I know that some of you like currently have parole officers. I know that some of you have done time. I know some of you have been arrested. I know some of you are actually have actually have legal problems. You know what it's like to be in trouble. And I want to understand better what I think you might get more. You know what it's like to be in trouble. And you know what it's like to be freed. I want to understand better what you understand, that because of what Jesus did, we don't have to go to prison. Even though we should, we don't have to go. We've been freed. We've been freed from the law of sin and death. That's the gospel. Is that it, though? Is that like it? Because that's actually only half the gospel. You see, the, the Christian gospel isn't just about God releasing us from the consequences of our sin. The gospel is also about changing us into the sort of people who want to and keep the law. 
You see, just because we've been freed from the law and its consequences doesn't mean that the law shouldn't have any place in our lives. I mean, the law is still good. It's still God's gift to us. And he wants to turn us into the sort of people who live according to it. In fact, as followers of Christ, it's even more important, even though we've been freed from the consequences of the law, as followers of Christ, it's even more important that we live according to what God has given us to do. And God's intention, once he releases us from prison, God's intention is to change us into the sort of people who live life in such a way, like the psalmist says, so that we may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. That's God's vision for us. Not just to free us, but to turn us into the sort of people who keep God's law with all our heart. Now, how does that happen? How does God transform us into the sort of people who keep God's law with all our heart? Well, in the last few minutes that I have, that's what I want to talk about. How does God transform lawbreakers into lawkeepers? Well, in order to be lawkeepers, I think God gives us, of course, three things to do. He tells us to learn the law, love the law, and live the law. First, learn the law. In order to be lawkeepers, we need to learn God's law. We can't do what God's given us to do without understanding what that is. We have to learn it. As the psalmist says, I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous decrees. Of course, learning God's law can be very uh, difficult. I mean, I make no presumptions here. If you ever read the Bible? This is a complicated book. Uh, it's got lots of books, lots of authors. It's written in several ancient languages. This is not easy. I mean, there's all kinds of laws in Scripture. Dietary laws, ceremonial laws, moral laws, criminal laws. Uh, the ancient Jews actually turned obeying the law into a science. The Jews had a, a long list of 613 mitzvot. A mitzvot is a divine command. So ancient Hebrew scribes actually tallied up all the things in Scripture that God had given them to do, and they counted 613 uh, this included everything from loving your neighbor to not worshiping idols to not mixing different types of threads to not sacrificing your children to Molech. Don't do that either. 613. And they would memorize them. In fact, oftentimes, adolescent boys and girls would have to memorize the 613 mitzvot by like, you know, 13 years old. What was the purpose of learning all these laws, though? I ask myself that question every time I like get up in the morning and I'm like reading the Torah and the book of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. I'm like, what am I doing right now? <laughs> this is an interesting way to start your day by reading an ancient Hebrew law code. Is this how like normal people start their day? Today I'm going to get up. I'm going to start with studying the ancient Hebrew law code. Why am I doing this? Because there's just something to it. There's just something to it. There's something in these laws that God has for us about, he wants, about how he wants us to live our lives. I mean, I know this is strange, but this is part of what it means to be a, you know, a Bible-reading Christian. For some reason, God decided to reveal his character and his will to an ancient Semitic people in a way that is still relevant to us today. But also, at the same time, 613, yeah, but we don't need to overthink this. I mean, Christians can overthink these things. And there's this scene in the book of Matthew, for example, uh, where some, some scribes, 
some legal scribes come up to Jesus and ask him a question of a very common debate uh, topic. The topic was, what's the most important law? Remember this. Like this, so they had 613, and they were always trying to like arrange them in order of priority. Like, what's like number one of 613, and then all the way down? What's most important? And Jesus says, all right, I'm going to answer that question. I'm going to give you the most important, and in fact, I'm also going to give you the second. And then you can argue about three through 613. Here's what he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest mitzvah. First and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbors, yourself, all the law, all the prophets hang on these two commands. So, you don't have to memorize 613. You just have to learn two. Don't worry about three through 613. Just learn these two. Everything hinges on these two. Love God with every part of who you are. Mind, heart, strength, body, soul, spirit, and love your neighbors, yourself. Everything, three through 613, hinge on these two. Learn the law. Learn the law. Second, love the law. The more you get to know the law of God, the more you love it. The reason I get up early and study the Torah is because I love it. It's perplexing, but I love it. As a psalmist, again, writes in Psalm 119, seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous laws. I don't do that. I guess I don't Got to up my game here. Great peace have those who love your law. And nothing can make them stumble. Love the law. Now, this sounds like a little bit of a stretch. Love the law. I mean, who would love the law? I have a couple of lawyer friends, and uh, at least from casual observation, it does not seem like they love the law. <laughs> they seem challenged by the law, perplexed by the law, stressed out by the law. Uh, on the other hand, maybe I'm just catching them on a bad day. Uh, this week I found a website on a lawyer's legal forum. And one of the lawyers who ran the website actually made a, a post on the forum. It was on Valentine's Day. It was a, a lawyer Valentine's Day post. Uh, I thought that was cute. But he asked his fellow lawyers, he said, in honor of Valentine's Day, what do you love about the law? And the lawyers were happy to chime in. Uh, one woman said she loved the law because it actually facilitates some of humanity's most important uh, relational commitments, like adoptions, weddings. Somebody else said he loves the law because it actually keeps society from descending into chaos. Uh, another person said she loved the law because it theoretically protects the most vulnerable members of our society. I was actually moved reading these affectionate words from all these lawyers who love the law. In fact, as an exercise, I asked Greg Cook, uh, one of our leaders here at Rooftop. He's uh, one of our leaders. He's a, uh, an elder. And he actually clicks the slides in the back on Sunday morning. So uh, servant leadership right there. But he's a lawyer. And I asked him, what do you love about the law, Greg? And here's what he said. By the way, that's Greg and his dog. He's <laughs> a, a, a loving, kind, loving man. He loves all God's creatures. Here's what he says. Ultimately, the law allows for individuals to have their disagreements decided by their peers. Although the system isn't perfect, it does provide someone who has been harmed to be compensated in the most fair way that society has been able to determine. So happy Valentine's Day, Greg Cook. I mean, he loves the law. This is what he's devoted his life to. And here's the thing. Greg and his fellow lawyers are talking about human laws. How much more should we love God's law? 
I mean, the law of God given to human beings expresses the very character and will of God for his people. It can be demanding, it can be complicated, it can be confusing, but how can we not love the fact that God gives it to us so that we can get to know him better and live life better? I mean, here's what the law allows. The law tells us how to build happy marriages. The law tells us how to raise good kids. The, the law tells us how to do church in, in, a, in a way that like, brings us together. The law reveals the character and the mystery of God. How could we not love the law for revealing all of that to us? That's why I get up early to study the law. Because I love it. Learn the law, love the law. Lastly, live the law. It just does not matter if we know or if we love the law. We have to live it. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We have been freed from the law, but we still must live according to it, not out of obligation, but out of love. As Jesus says, he says, if you love me, keep my commands, keep my law, keep my mitzvot. Uh, Here we have a problem, though. Uh, Like we've established, we're all kinds of lawbreakers. We don't do good with laws. How are we going to do any better obeying God's law now than we did before we became a follower of Jesus? We were lawbreakers then. Are we just going to be a new type of lawbreaker now? Well, here's the thing. When God rescues us from the punishment we deserve, he doesn't just leave it at that. He wants to turn us into different people. He wants to create in us new hearts, new minds. He wants to convert us into the sort of people who know and obey the law. In fact, if you're not like a different person, at least a little bit, after you become a follower of Jesus than you were before you become a follower of Jesus, if you're not at least a little bit different after than you were before, there's a good chance you're not actually a follower of Jesus. You can't just be like rescued from hell and be a Christian. God wants to change you. God wants to transform you into the sort of person who keeps the law. And you know how that happens? He works on your inside. He gives you a new heart. gives you a new mind. He pours his spirit into you so that you can live differently. The Bible calls this the new covenant. And it describes a new sort of relationship that God wants to have with his people where he changes them from the inside and writes his laws on their heart so that what is written here gets written here. That's the new covenant. Jeremiah, the prophet, uh, looks forward to it in his book when he says this, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. I will put my law in their minds. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. That's where all this is going. This is what God wants to see in our lives. It's his long-term plan for you and I. Through the spirit, through his word, through the church, God wants to get inside of us so that we're different. So that we don't actually have to teach. This is what's remarkable about Jeremiah's prophecy. So that we don't even have to teach you out of the law. Because why? We'll know it. Nobody has to correct anybody else because everybody knows the law and does it. That's the dream people. That you know what God's will is for you on your inside and there's no debate or doubt about whether or not you'll do it. 
When your heart tells you to go serve the poor, you just will. When your heart tells you to go love your spouse on a bad day, you just will. When your heart tells you to honor and respect your elders, you just will. Because the law of God, by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, is written on your heart. That's the dream, right? Now, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We still got to do Bible study. We still got to rebuke and correct each other. We still fail. We're not there yet. That's the dream. But I think more can happen in our hearts here on planet Earth, on this side of heaven. I think more can happen than we want to believe. I think God can change us in the sort of people who live according to the law more than we think. If we give him a chance. If we devote ourselves to it. <clears throat> uh, for example, maybe you've heard the name Michael Franzese. I'll, I'll, this closing illustration. Uh, Michael was a former uh, New York mob boss uh, back in the 70s and the 80s. He worked his way up in the Colombo family. And at one point, he was generating tens of millions of dollars in illegal business activities every week. He was the consummate lawbreaker. He didn't even ignore the law. He, like, knew the law so he could avoid the law. And he was good at avoiding the law, too. Uh, Rudy Giuliani was actually the district attorney in New York at the time, and Giuliani could not pin him down. He tried, but he could not pin him down. Franzese just ran circles around the law, all out in the open, too. Fortune magazine actually called Michael Franzese one of the, the nation's, like, top five mob bosses it, it, while he was a mob boss. Like, everybody knew that he was a mob boss, and nobody could get to him. Then, one day, Michael Franzese met a girl. Girl's a Christian. Uh, and they got married. Uh, Michael decided that he wanted to be a better man for her, so he turned himself into Rudy Giuliani. He pled guilty to a long list of crimes, did several, uh, uh, several uh, sentences in jail, uh, was there for a very long time. One day, he says, while he was in prison, in isolation, uh, he said a, 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 a guard walked by and just threw a Bible in. <clears throat> and uh, he was, had nothing else to do. So he sat down and he studied the law in prison. And according to him, an amazing thing happened. As he learned to live and love the law, he got changed. God spoke to him through the law. God poured his spirit into him through the law. He learned in the law that he could be forgiven, and he learned that he could be different. He got out of prison a different man. When he was released, he had no desire, none, to go back to a life of crime. He actually moved to California to get as far away from the New York mob scene as he could. For the past 20, 25 years, in fact, he just travels the world teaching at-risk youth about Jesus so they don't go to prison. He tells the story of his conversion in his book, Blood Covenant. Uh, the Blood Covenant is the agreement that every mobster makes with the mob. Apparently, if you're in the mob, you're bound by blood. At the risk of his life, Michael broke the covenant, but he found a better covenant 
with a better boss. That's the gospel. Not only can Jesus get you out of prison, but Jesus can change who you are at your very core so that you don't go back. By his spirit, by the word, by the church, he can make you someone who knows, loves, and lives the law. And that's my invitation to you this morning. You might not be a mob boss, but hear me really clearly, and I do not say this judgmentally because it applies to me too. You're a criminal. According to God's divine law, you're a lawbreaker or a law misser, or a law picker, or a, or a, a law, all the laws thing. I can't go beyond three points. If it gets to five, I can't remember all of them. You're a criminal. You're destined for prison. But Jesus can break you out. And you can be different. You can be changed by the power of the Spirit, by the power of the Word, by the power of community together. You can actually be the sort of person who, as God promised the Israelites, lives long in the land.